Welcome back, everybody, to the Brews and Belters podcast, where we talk all things soccer while sipping on some local brews. You can find our podcast here on Spotify each Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. You can also interact with us via Twitter and Instagram at Brews and Belters. My name is Keegan Gowitz, and tonight I'm sipping on a chaos pattern from Three Sheeps Brewing here in Sheboygan, Iowa, or Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Sheboygan just sounds like an Iowa city, I guess. Uh, it's a 6.5 hazy IPA, pretty tasty. Um, as always, I'm joined by Toby Hinefeld. Tobias Michael, what you sipping on tonight? Phase Three Brewing Company, and it is a American Double India Pale Ale called Terrazzo. 8% alcohol. Um, perfect marketing on it. It's exactly what I like. Very simple. It's got like a hop. Um, got a little graphic in it that kind of makes it look like uh, that, like, what is the book that has the the fish that's like all like shimmery? You know, it's not, I was thinking of the Hungry Caterpillar, but that's definitely not what I'm thinking about. Anyways, that's what it reminds me of, so... Off to a good start, remembering all my facts that I had. Off to a <laughs> great plans, start. So. Great start with the fun facts. All right, anyway, it's it's beer. If it's I beer. It, I will say it. So. Perfect. All right, well, uh, let's get right into it. We've got some quite a bit to discuss tonight. Um, Super League hangover continues, uh, but we're going to start out on a positive note tonight. We're going to give a little shout-out to... Uh, some teams who um, who have won their domestic leagues already. Ajax have won their 35th Eredivisie title. Um, and Inter Milan finished a top Serie A. It's their 19th Scudetto, um, their first league trophy since 2010. They snap Juve's nine-year reign and bring back uh, and, and break their tie with AC Milan at 18 titles apiece, uh, which is huge for them in that rivalry. Um, pretty big consequences still in Serie A as Juve are on the cusp for a top four spot. They're tied at 69 points, nice, with Atalanta uh, and AC Milan. Napoli trails them in fifth with 67 points, so it's going to be a tight race, and um, we've kind of discussed off-air over this past week that you imagine both Pirlo's job and Ronaldo's future at Juventus are at stake if they don't finish top four. Um, can't imagine Ronaldo sticking around if, if there's no Champions League to be played next season. So, still a lot at stake there in, in Serie A. Definitely. Um, just to kind of go over how it, how impactful it is, especially with uh, Antonio Conte, uh, back in 2010-2011, when he took over Juventus, they were 7th in uh, Serie A. And that following year, 2011-2012, he won Serie A with that team. Um, took over Chelsea in 10th place in 2015. Uh, that following season, they won the Premier League. And then the same thing happened this time with uh, Inter. They were uh, fourth in 2018-2019. And this year, they took over and he won Serie A. So he's got a track record. Um, I Just to kind of piggyback off some other major information that's happening in Serie A with uh, Jose Mourinho signing with Roma today. Um, I mean, those are... He doesn't have the Champions League credentials, but those are credentials that puts him up in the upper echelon of coaches, especially in Serie A right now. For sure, yeah. Roma will be a, an interesting project for Jose um, King Petty, patron saint of Petty, uh, who has boosted, bolstered his resume over the past couple weeks by just posting Instagram photos of his, his, his most glorious moments. Uh, had every club in Europe 
just foaming at the mouth trying to get Jose on the phone. Uh, just reminding him of his success. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll be interested to see how that fit is. Um, Roma have kind of struggled in the middle of the pack in Serie A this year. Got kicked out of uh, Europa. Um, made a pretty deep run, but but ultimately didn't make it in Europa. So it'll be interesting to see him try and build them back up the Serie A table next year and uh, maybe make a run in, in the Europa League. So um, on to our main topic, of course, the Super League Hangover Part 2, Night at Old Trafford. Um, the saga continues. So Sunday evening in Manchester or mid-morning here in the United States. Uh, Man United set to take on Liverpool, of course, hours before the match. United fans gathered by the thousand to protest the Glazers' ownership and United's participation in the Super League. Um, for me personally, love that they continued protesting after clubs had pulled out of the league, because I think too often in protests like this, um, the center stage issue is addressed and condemned, in this case the Super League, of course. And once it's defeated, people kind of let their foot off the gas. Um, and of course, that, that allows, you know, uh, the, the Glazers and the other big owners to, you know, let the dust settle. And then two months later, they find another way to try and, try and uh, make the Super League a thing again. So I fully support continuing the protests and taking it beyond just, hey, withdraw from the league. You know, continuing in, in that vein to protest not just the league, but ownership as a whole, demanding that the Glazers step down. Um, I love that, and I applaud United fans for carrying that protest on. That being said, uh, there's always a better way to handle things in hindsight, especially something like this. I mean, you get thousands of rowdy football fans together, probably thousands of pints deep in between all of them, and they're outside rallying. Things are going to go south. Uh, all it takes is a small fraction of those fans um, to get carried away, and that's what happens. And uh, that's when you have people kicking down doors to get into the stadium, people throwing bottles at police officers and stadium stewards and causing damage to the grounds. Um, I think all that's bound to happen in any protest. People get carried away. Uh, but, you know, those officers, those stewards haven't done anything. Um, the players and coaching staff inside the hotel where supporters were gathered outside haven't done anything. Not only have they not done anything wrong, but they've openly spoke out against the team's involvement in the league. Um, so again, I love the continued protests, but I acknowledge that those protests need to be aimed at the Glazers. Uh, and I guess stopping the match from occurring does affect the Glazers slightly, maybe financially. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you've gone to protest a villainous ownership and in getting carried away, you've kind of become the villain in the media's eye. Um, and they'll paint that picture all day long. So um, just kind of unfortunate with, with the way things ended up. Um, again, I do love the continued protests, though, and I hope they continue to pressure the Glazers. What are your thoughts on that, Tobes? Well, I mean, this hate is nothing new towards the Glazers. They, the English fan base especially has hated this team. I mean, they've owned them for quite a while. I want to say since 2006. Yeah. Um, so there's plenty of animosity there. I think this is just the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, this is the, this was like the last straw in their mind, um, I mean, there's been a lot of other issues throughout the years that have kind of gone that. I mean, the main thing I would say is uh, almost all their sponsorship is uh, U.S.-based companies. Um, so rich get richer in this case. And uh, just with the rioting itself, um, I mean, it, it was mind-blowing to the point where the game that was currently on 
Sky Sports and then us in the States uh, with NBC Sports, they were literally doing split screen. And I've never seen that ever. They were doing split screen the entire game, showing it because it was that fascinating and it was that different than anything that's ever gone on with the the Premier League uh, to the point where it is eye-opening. And, I mean, everyone notices and throughout the world. Uh, even my father-in-law, who doesn't even follow soccer at all, was like, hey, what's going on with this? And then he's like, what's up with the Super League? I'm like, Jesus, I do not want to answer these questions with <laughs> you. But that is exactly like, I mean, it it worked to an extent, but I felt like the way we were, I was watching on NBC Sports, it was the same two or three people of the, like, say, four or 500 that were in there. It was the same two or three people that were, like, doing the dumb shit, like, pulling up, uh, looting, pulling up, like, random flags and, like, throwing camera bases, you know, stuff like that, sliding on the, uh, like, spandexy tarp that goes over the over the seats, like, just doing dumb stuff, and it was, like, the same three people, like, I feel like they kept showing. Um, I think it was an inside job. I think there was actually people in. This is a new, <laughs> this is a new segment. Um, Conspiracy Toby. Go ahead, let's um, go. I think there was like some brother or sister, cousin, aunt, uncle, relative, best friend that, uh, I mean, how do they get in? You know, like clearly they weren't prepared for it because they had like, they were showing there was like 12 total staff in Neon that were like probably part-time dudes. Just they're the guys who stand there and make sure that no crowd gets on. But if if a fan actually does get on there, they're like, all right, we're not touching that guy. Like that's someone else's job. (laughs) Like they were there, but there was like no real security and you expect to have a little bit more of that and so i don't know it felt like it was kind of calculated um but i mean it is what it is uh i guess moving forward though do you think they continue to do this like what do you just keep protesting before every game or do you think security is going to be ramped up that much that they even can you would imagine security will be more ramped up but again i mean these these protests were broadcast, and I guess they didn't expect them maybe to take it to that extent where they try and get in the grounds. But the fans were out there hours before. The fans had, had made it known publicly that they would be out there. I mean, this wasn't a surprise attack. So I would imagine that, that security will be very, very vamped up for all Premier League games, all, all big six club matches moving forward. Um, I would imagine and hope that the protests continue. I don't know about actually storming the grounds. Um, also, I haven't followed up to see if, you know, like you mentioned, there were a handful that were that were right in front of the camera that were kind of soaking that moment up. I don't know what kind of repercussions they've faced, um, you know, legally or anything like that since. I don't know, you know, arrests that were made, stuff like that. I'm, I'm not, I haven't followed up on, uh, on the legal action taken. So, I don't know. I don't know exactly what's deterring them from doing it again. Um, but I would yeah, imagine I mean, the protests will continue, yeah. I mean, if there was ever a time to protest, it's during COVID when you can wear a mask, a hat, or a stocking cap and be completely covered and not have anyone know who you are. Like, right. This is the perfect time to protest, create a crime, and like get partially away with it, you know? like There's mm-hmm. no facial recognition when it's just like your eyes and your upper nose. So yeah, I totally get that. I guess moving forward, what if you were a Manchester United supporter, like what can you do? Boycott the sponsors? Not go to the games? I mean, they're not allowing fans as is. Not watch them? Like that doesn't matter. They still have the TV money, so it doesn't matter how viewership is. Yeah, like, that's, 
that's the difficult thing when you when you try to fight the rich because I, I don't know what the answer is, but the pressure needs to continue in a way that obviously doesn't threaten or harm people like the stadium stewards, players, managers, so on. It needs to be aimed at the Glazers and it, it needs to be a demand of their removal. Um, you know, it needs, it needs to be catered towards the board and the, the, you know, the stakeholders and everything to hopefully try to remove them, I guess. Um, I don't know, finding ways to take money out of their pockets, like you said, I, you know, I think that we're lazy as the general public in in trying to like boycott brands or do this or that. You know, uh, you hear about people who have who have beef with Amazon. Like, stop buying shit from Amazon. I get that it's convenient, but like, I'll order my books from Thrift Books and wait the extra three days for it to get delivered instead of having it in ten seconds. You know, like, I just think that as a whole we're kind of lazy with that stuff. So the Glazers own the Buccaneers. Um, they own First Allied Corporation, which rents out shopping malls. So I think this is where movements like this have the potential to become global fights for good. Um, it's an opportunity for soccer fans and people who aren't fans to, to step up. And, you know, it's a it's an opportunity for businesses who, who maybe rent out space in those malls um, to step up and say that, you know, move their business elsewhere. I don't think that will happen. I don't have that much faith in, in humanity and in other businesses and in those brands. Um, but I think that is the, the biggest way to hurt these these uh, investors. And it's not just the Glazers, it's the Henrys of, of Fenway Sports Group, it's Stan Kroenke, so on. Um, these people have investments everywhere. And um, yeah, I, I think that the number one thing to do right now, um, you know, it's it's difficult to especially when it's like you, you own a place like First Allied Corporation, which is running out shopping malls. It's pretty tough to boycott stuff like that in a strategic way. So I think the biggest move is just continuing to put pressure on them to sell the club, to hopefully lose out on that investment. You know, you come in and buy it. Maybe when it's at a low, uh, like Liverpool, you know, FSG came in and bought it when, when they were going through some tough times. Now it's you know one of the most hyped up clubs in the world coming off a of Champions League and then a Premier League title. Try and force those people out and make them sell for for less than they you know than they than the club deserves to be bought for, and hope to hurt them that way. Again, I don't have the answers. That's just that's the best case scenario for me is is seeing a situation where uh, because of you know one thing or another these people are forced to sell their ownership um, and give you know step down. So yeah, the only other thing I guess. Focusing on the, some of the other clubs, I mean, you you kind of touched on Arsenal, Liverpool, uh, but like with Tottenham, I mean, their ownership is you know English based, so it's like kind of just like there has to be a line somewhere where it doesn't really matter where they're from; it just matters how they're managing at that point. Right. Um, and same with Chelsea, like Chelsea's the same way as Tottenham, uh, and Chelsea they actually had the presence of mind this last week to say that they want to have like fan representation at their board meetings. Nice. Um, so that's something they want to try out because of this whole fallout, which seems like a cool gesture, but at the same time, like how do you like, what you get the fucking super fan who starts all the chance, like who, who is supposed to like know us in the best interest of the overall fan, you know, like do they vote on it as like season ticket holders? So that's what, that's going to be interesting to see how that happens. Cause it's not like, it's not like a franchise where there's like a franchise like say uh, Green Bay uh, for the Packers and how their like ownership is actually based on season ticket holders 
And so they actually have a say in business decision, um, whereas that's not the case here. So it's, yeah, it's a weird situation. Honestly, I love that they were doing this writing, but I don't think it's going to change anything. I don't think it's going to cause anyone to step down. Like that guy, you know, all those guys are just like at the Glazers. Everyone's just like, I don't care. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, so they're not in harm's way. It's just the poor, uh, the poor stadium stewards, and you know, the hotel concierge that's that's dealing with these people. You know, out front yeah, of the part-timers. hotel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, you know, that's the core of the problem. These people come in and stir shit up, and then they don't take the responsibility. They just take the profit. So, um, and as you mentioned, we've been harsh on the American owners as Americans. Um, it's it's not an American thing. It's not an English te- thing. It's not a Russian thing. You know, obviously with um, with Chelsea having Russian ownership, it's a greed thing. I mean, it's simply a a money over you know culture over people over players. Um, it's, it's solely a greed thing, um, which you see everywhere in the world. It's not just the United States. Uh, so moving forward, I don't know if you have any more thoughts about that or shall we continue on to more pleasant topics? Yeah. Um, well, well, moving on to, uh, a couple results from the, from the weekend, uh, that involved top six teams, Arsenal win 2-0 over Newcastle. Total dominance by Arsenal. Uh, granted, it's Newcastle. They haven't looked great, but um, they do have St. Maximin back. Almiron's played well, so they, they can be a threat, but Arsenal completely dominated possession. They looked sharp in their attack, uh, sturdy defensively. And then Chelsea win 2-0 against Fulham. Again, it's Fulham, um, but a really solid performance and a pretty typical Chelsea win under Tuchel. Go and grab a couple goals. Um, and just be strong in the back. And that's important performances for both, as Arsenal looked to bounce back against Villarreal after a 2-1 defeat in the first leg of the Europa League semifinal Thursday, and Chelsea hosts Real Madrid tomorrow in the second leg of a 1-1 Champions League semifinal, Um, the winner of which, of course, will take on Man City, who are through to the final after eviscerating PSG today 2-0 to move through 4-1 on aggregate. Um, and, and we can talk about that a little bit. How much of that game did you get to catch today, Tobes? Today's game, I caught a portion of it. Uh, congratulations to Man City. I think it was, what, 12 to 15 years ago, they were in the third division of English soccer. Yeah. So took them 2.5 billion pounds um, in 12 years, 12, 15 years. But they, they're back up in the upper echelon. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so there was a lot going on in this game. Um, I honestly, it was funny because the first half of the last game, uh, PSG was the better team to the point where I'm like, this is not going to look good for city city came out after half. I don't know what Pochettino did to make them step back. Like when you have two Ferraris, you let those babies go Mm -hmm. and Mbappe and Neymar were pretty much playing in the midfield. Um, when they should not be, they should be on the front foot at all times. And, uh, they gave away the the win last week and then this week they they were shell-shocked at the beginning when i mean whoever watched didn't watch this game uh there was like sleet hail and snow before the game it was nasty conditions like they were shoveling the lines of this game uh so it was like one of those games where it was just weird english weather like it's not, not something you really want to play in where it's like sleeting and especially if most of PSG's team, I feel like, is a good portion of them are uh, South American. 
Um, so they're not used to playing in the whole snow and everything. And then playing in France, it's a little bit different, but still. Uh, so, I mean, the main thing I'll say about all this is City dominated from start to finish. Phil Foden had Messi-like performance in the midfield, especially uh, certain times. He like he had he had that feel where I'm like, oh shit! Like I've been I've been dumping on this dude nonstop the last couple of weeks, and like he impresses every time. And I know some of that is just that he's in the groove. Like he's he right now he's playing as a top five Premier League player. Like Easy. he's playing in the upper echelon, Easy. and I usually don't I usually don't think that. But I kind of feel like that's the case right now. Um, and, like, I mean, the tempers were flaring for PSG, especially when they went down that second goal. Like, they just started to unleash tackling. And there was multiple yellow cards. There was a – I didn't think it was <laughs> dirty, dirty, but Di Maria stomped on Fernandinho's foot to cause a red card. Uh, I want to say in, like, the 65th minute. Like, yeah. there was still – like, at that point, all they had to do was win the game and they – they were good. Like they were equal on terms and would go to extra time and shoot out. And so they were only down one goal or they only need two goals and they need a third goal. And it's like, like what the hell dude? Uh, so yeah, so it was, it was rough. It was rough for PSG. Cause I actually kind of liked them uh, going through this tournament. And then like this game happened, especially the last 40 minutes. I'm like, Oh, this is why I hate PSG. Cause they complain about everything they foul dirty, and then they, like, I don't know. They're just, like, not a team you want to root for. Like, they don't have any players that, like, have good qualities. But they're so sexy up front that you kind of forget about it as a whole. And that's the thing. Um, we've talked about this, you know, leading up to this match. They've been playing so well. And I've been waiting for, you know, four or five years for PSG to have their backs against the wall and make a statement for them to not be, you know, fragile, for them to not get frustrated and complain for them to just, you know, decide their own fate in a way to come out and really smack somebody in the jaw when they get, when they get pinned against the wall and they just didn't do it. Um, city had them down and yeah, like you said, they got frustrated. Um, and, and they started, you know, getting in a little bit dirty on some tackles, uh, nothing over the top, but the Di Maria thing, I mean, the ball's out of bounds Fernandino ch maybe chirps at him or follows him out or something, and he snaps. And it's like, man, you still got 25 minutes left in this match. There's an opportunity, and you let your head get in the way, and, and you go down a man against the greatest manager, arguably, of all time with a team that's probably the best in the world right now. And it's just, I, I keep wanting to see them punch back, and they keep letting me down, and it makes PSG even harder to like. Um, but you got to give credit to City, uh, Pep, absolute masterclass for, from him. Um, Foden, KDB, and Mares are unstoppable right now. They're unplayable. Foden, I think, I think the Messi comparison is actually accurate. I, you, you can't say that because Messi is Messi, but just watching him under in in Pep's system right now, seeing him rise to superstardom. Just like Messi did when when Pep made that run with Barca, uh, as Pe as Messi was you know coming up through the ranks and really really rose to the to the world stage, we're seeing that type of performance with Foden. We're seeing him play that type of role where he'll drop back and receive the ball in midfield, and then he just glides past defenders and opens everything up for them offensively. 
And it's amazing to watch. And when you have weapons like Kevin DeBrona and Mares around him, Mares is playing as well as I've ever seen him play. He's so deadly when he gets the ball on the right. And they just look unstoppable. And and going back to uh, you know to just what Pep's done with them, um, to the Foden Messi comparison. Um, you know, again, Messi's Messi, but just Foden playing that type of role, um, seeing him really rise into the into the spotlight right now. I originally wanted to see Chelsea City in the final, but I really want to see Pep take on Real again. I want to see Pep and his new star boy take on Real. Uh, part of me really wants to see KDB get a, a Champions League trophy. Um, one of the best to ever do it, in my opinion. And yeah, it looks like they can. I, I don't know who's going to stop them right now. I think Real versus Chelsea will be an interesting matchup tomorrow, but I don't see either of those teams beating this city side with the way they're playing. I think we, we, we could be yeah. in for a treble. It's funny because... I think two weeks ago I was saying Bayern and PSG are the two best teams in the country. Uh, but definitely not the case anymore. Um, I mean, right now I'm looking at the France League One and uh, Lille is uh, number one right now. They're actually ahead of PSG. Mm-hmm. And they only play one team in like the top eight. of their. Uh, they have three more games left. And they're actually one point ahead of PSG. So if they just went out. They actually win the league, and PSG follow, finishes second place. So they're not even going to get uh, a trophy uh, pretty much at all this year. So I would say that's pretty bad for PSG and Pochettino. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think right now Man City is the team, unless Chelsea can c- come through. I don't know. I had Chelsea winning it all, so that, <laughs> I mean, that was my pick a couple weeks ago when I bet on it. So. Well, for the sake of your wallet, I hope Chelsea win it. But for the sake of the drama, I hope Pep, uh, I hope Pep guides him to a win, which is difficult so, to say as a Liverpool fan. But so I guess looking forward to tomorrow's game, Chelsea uh, and Real Madrid. Um, I mean, this has to be Eden Hazard time, correct? You would imagine. You would imagine the stage is set. Yeah, I would have to say, like, I mean, there's no other way around it. Like Chelsea looked very dominant in that game and it was funny because Christian Pulisic looked dominant and like I don't expect that most of the time but I think he's going to be starting tomorrow I think it's going to be a toss-up between Havertz and uh, Timo Werner I would assume Kai Havertz gets to start with him up front and then right behind him is probably going to be Ziyech and Mason Mount for Chelsea and that's why I would assume and then I don't know what they're going to do they're definitely going to be riding that Conte he's going to be playing definitely as a defensive midfielder um kind of pulling the strings for the team as a whole uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be an awesome game. Uh, Benzema and Hazard definitely have to step up for them to have any sort of chance. Um, so, yeah, I expect a lot. Yeah, I, I think it'll be an interesting matchup. Um, I think they're really evenly matched. And, you know, you mentioned Benzema and Hazard, but, again, Real is Real. Um, you can't forget about Tony Cruz, Modric, Casemiro in the midfield. I mean, they've just got so much quality and they've got quality in those positions where these guys have aged but when when you're so smart and you can put a ball anywhere you want and you position yourself right in the midfield it can change everything so um yeah I don't know I I I can't call this one um I think Chelsea have, have played phenomenal lately but it's just so hard to bet against Real especially in the Champions League but Moving on to our second biggest topic tonight, 
a little preview that's been delayed a couple weeks. Norway's European Cup starting 11. What do you got, Toby? For my Norwegians, I have a 4-4-2 right. with uh, Rune Jarstin uh, from Hertha Berlin in the back playing goalkeeper. Uh, on left, I have uh, Berger Melling from uh, Nîmes Olympic in France. I have Christopher Ayer from Celtic. Stein Gregerson uh, from Mold FK in Norway. Uh, that's actually where uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of United came from coaching. Um, so... Not a huge team, but uh, <clears throat> definitely one of the bigger ones in that country. And then uh, in the back to follow up for the back four would be uh, Jonas Svensson of uh, AZ Alkmaar uh, in the Dutch League. So playing in the four in the middle, I have uh, Mohamed uh, Alunusi from Celtic. He actually played over the weekend in the uh, team in the game against whoever uh, they were playing. I can't remember. Uh, so Sander Burge from Sheffield United, uh, Kristen Thorstedt from Genk in the Belgian League. Uh, that's actually uh, where American Mark McKenney plays too, as well. Um, and then uh, Martin Odegaard from Arsenal. And then up front, I have Erling Haaland, of course. He's going to be their captain, and uh, Alexander Sorloth of RB Leipzig. Nice. I have a very similar squad um, goalkeeper. I've also got Rune Yarstein of Hertha. Um, my back line is actually the exact same. I've got them set up in a 4-3-1-2. Um, my, my back line is the exact same as yours. And then in midfield, um, I've got Mohamed Elunasi on the left. Um, and then I've got them set up kind of in a diamond shape. I've got at center defensive mid, um, the big boy, 6'5", 25-year-old Sonderberg of Sheffield United. Uh, on the right, out wide, I've got the 21-year-old Hakan Evian of Eredivisie Club, AZ Alkmaar, uh, and then attacking mid, the one and only Mo Martin Odegaard. And then up top, I've got the same striking partnership as you, Erling Haaland, partnered with 25-year-old uh, Alexander Sorloff of RB Leipzig, uh, who could also be swapped out for Joshua King of Southampton. Um, pretty good, pretty good center forward for, uh, for them. So... Pretty similar, pretty similar lineups here. I think we expected that. Again, Norway, not not quite the sexiest team. Um, however, this lineup, both of ours are pretty similar. Um, this lineup is almost all under the age of 25. Rune Yarstein's like 36. Um, and with the exception of, I, I think, uh, not Svensson, but, but um, one of the defenders is like 28. Other than that, most of these guys are 25 and younger. So um, an international squad to watch out for for the future could be pretty pretty deadly over the next few years, especially as Odegaard, Elunasi, um, and, of course, Holland continue to, to evolve their game and grow their game. And you can throw in Alexander Sorloth in there as well, um, playing in, in a great club with, at Leipzig. So. And then we'll wrap up here with our uh, our booze, cheers, and belters. Um, Tobus is actually going to carry us here uh, with with this segment of this of the show. Let's start out with some cheers. Um, actually, no. Let's let's start with some booze first. We'll keep going with that. Uh, so my booze is for actually heard this live uh, in today's match um, with PSG Man City when Di Maria fouled Fernandinho, uh, Jim Beglin. 
had the comment where he pretty much said that that is Latino temperament. Oh. Um, he eventually came back and uh, apologized uh, on air. Um, <clears throat> but at the time, I was like, oh, that's like different to say. But that was, I mean, ev- I think everyone knows different playing styles are different. And uh, But at the end of the day, I think it doesn't matter where you're from. You could be a freaking hothead. You know, like, yeah, yeah when I think hotheads right now, I think of like Arturo Vidal who is, you know, from South America and players like that. But, yeah, he definitely overstepped his boundaries. He He's uh, since apologized multiple times for that. I don't know if you'll have any other uh, any other punishment for it. But uh, I was kind of going through, because uh, Jim Jim Beglin, anyone who doesn't know, was he's Irish, played uh, played in, e- in England in the Premier League in the, like, 80s and early 90s and whatnot. Um, so, like, kind of going through and seeing, like, some other, I wouldn't say dirty players, but players that like say average the most straight red cards for say tackles or dirty play. Um, the three all time leaders were from the late late to mid eighties to early to mid nineties, and that was Duncan Ferguson, uh, Joey Barton, and Roy Keane. And all three of those men were Irish, Scottish, and English. Um, so, like, I don't think. It matters where you're from. So, like, why would you say, like, oh, yeah, that's the Irish in him, like, coming out? Like, that makes no sense. So, yeah, it was definitely inappropriate. Um, I mean, he caught it, at, like, 10 minutes after saying it. Probably one of the producers, I would say, uh, said something to him. Uh, yeah, like, just the, the fact that Di Maria from Argentina made that foul, then he said that was that was my boo of the week because – they literally just came out of the whole social media blackout yesterday <laughs> from, from like get this out of the sport. And then for him to do that, it was just like, what the hell dude? Um, did you, did you hear that live? Cam? I didn't catch that cause I was watching in the office. So it was muted. Um, but yeah, I mean, great boo, especially after everything that's been going on, like have some fucking tact, man. Exactly. So I have two cheers. Uh, they're to piggyback off of the start of the show. Uh, we had uh, a cheers for RB Salzburg uh, for winning their uh, cup and for Jesse Marsh to finish up before he goes to RB Leipzig uh, for him to win with RB Salzburg and for them to be cheering in the locker room singing uh, uh, Sweet Caroline was pretty cool to see on social media. He was like singing it in the middle of everyone and like just spraying beer on everyone. So it was, you could tell he was enjoying himself and like, he has to be living super high to be, to be not only in the Red Bull, the Red Bull team, but to be like on the uprise with them. Like it's huge for him to get that position at uh, RB Leipzig uh, in the Bundesliga. So I expect great things from him. I mean, he's been coaching in the, he's been coaching in the Champions League for years now. And I mean, you think about some of the players that he's brought up through Salzburg, like there's legit good players. Uh, Minamino and uh, Halan are the two that kind of come to my mind right off the top of my head, and they're playing for Liverpool and Borussia Dortmund. Uh, so cheers to him, and then also cheers to Ajax, uh, mainly to their fans uh, for them winning the uh, the Era Divisi uh, League Championship. Um, so Ajax fans pretty much stormed the place and like, just blew up when they were coming back for their like uh, celebration parade today, and uh, it was awesome to see. Definitely not social distancing, but but awesome to see. Uh, for Ajax is thirty fifth. They've won the league thirty five times, which is very impressive. 
Yeah. That makes it think that they should be in a super league or something. <laughs> <laughs> don't you don't you utter that phrase on this podcast? <laughs> yeah, and so uh, finishing it up, I'm going to finish it up with a belter, not the one that I uh, that uh, was tweeted on our uh, Twitter account. Please follow us on Twitter, uh, Brews and Belters. But this one is from uh, Orlando FC and the Portuguese uh, Luis uh, Nani. He did a 360 dipsy do uh, to a pullback drag, deep the defender, left-footed upper 90, just a banger from outside the 18. Uh, not hit with a ton of pace, but enough pace and uh, definitely pulled it past the goaltender. No way that he could stop that. Uh, great individual one-on-one play by him. And, I mean, the hashtag still stands. MLS has the belters. Like, it's, I counted three of them this weekend. Three of them. So You heard it here first. What was it, the oopsie daisy, or was it was it the whoopie woo? A, a, a dipsy doozy. Ah, the dipsy doozy. MLS has the belters and the dipsy doozies. Yes, they do. And on that note, we're out. That wraps up episode nineteen. Um, episode twenty next week. We'll have to think of something spicy, Toby. Um, we do. Uh, that book I was talking about earlier was Rainbow Fish. Some uh, editor's notes. <laughs> Did you get that little tap on the shoulder? Yes. The editor came in. Our, our sound man came in. Mm-hmm. All right. Good stuff. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, as Toby said, give us a follow on Instagram, Twitter. Interact with us. Let us know what you want to see and hear. Um, working on maybe some T-shirts coming soon. Um, and uh, we're going to watch a little bit of local a little bit of local ball here uh, pretty soon, the Milwaukee Torrents. We're going to... Um, May 15th, we're going to go out for their home opener. So uh, me and Jack are going to go. Toby may or may not be able to make it up for that. But we're going to go out and support, try and catch as many matches as we can this year. So, uh, yeah, go out and watch some some local soccer around you um, and keep following along. We'll be back next week. Cheers. Cheers.